Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to In-Depth. I'm your host, Jill Webb. Holidays are the perfect time for parents to reconnect with their kids. Therapists say mental health needs to be a part of the conversation, especially considering while we don't talk about COVID much anymore, the pandemic continues to impact children, especially when it comes to mental health. We are not yet recovered. Suspected suicide attempts for girls ages 12 to 17 were up. 140,000 students lost a parent or caregiver. Researchers say kids and teens struggled to bounce back mentally this year after enduring so much uncertainty, interruption, and trauma due to COVID. Today, we talk to students whose mental health was affected by the pandemic and find out what adults need to do to help them. I feel like a lot of adults, some minimize mental health struggles. Nicole Cavalieri graduated from Staten Island Technical High School in the spring of 2023. And I feel like a lot of that comes from the idea that like, oh, you know, young people have frivolous problems. But when you're in whatever phase of your life that you're in, whatever you're dealing with is the most you've ever had to deal with. Young people are struggling right now. Last year, More than a third of high schoolers reported experiencing poor mental health during the pandemic. That's according to the CDC. It also found that 44% of high schoolers persistently felt sad or hopeless. More alarming, one in five considered suicide in the past year. One in 10 attempted suicide. The U.S. Surgeon General and the American Academy of Pediatrics have called this moment that we're in right now uh, a real crisis, a real youth mental health crisis. That's Don Yester, the director of the School Justice Project. The program is part of the Advocates for Children of New York, a nonprofit focused on protecting student rights to an education. We need to put more resources into mental health for children and young people. Mental health professionals are saying that young people are facing just really increased soaring rates high rates of depression, anxiety, trauma, suicidality that will really have a lasting impact on them and their families and their communities. Like many students across the globe, Nicole's world was turned upside down in March 2020. We're going to close the schools for another two weeks. We believe we can reopen schools safely and well in September. We're not going to say children should go back to school until we know it's safe. I mean, I think 
a lot of us probably thought like, you know, obviously the word global pandemic is really scary, but none of us, I don't think, really thought it would be going on for, you know, two, three years now. The New York Department of Education is out with new guidelines. Just days before return to school, classes delayed until September 21st. A lot of the times you don't realize that you have, um, you know, a good mental state and like a healthy life and routine that you kind of rely on until it goes away like that. I love my school and being able to see my friends every day. You know, I really relied on that for a sense of stability in my life. Obviously, things are better now than they were in 2020. But at the beginning of the pandemic, students dealt with their routines being uprooted. Like Kristen Wang, who just graduated from Staten Island Tech. I was in 10th grade, um, and I felt like my life was finally piecing together. Similar feelings from Alyssa Simone, another recent grad. Looking back, that was probably when my mental health was in the best place. I was seeing my friends every day. I felt like I had formed some really solid friendships. We were hanging out after school. I felt like I had gotten a grasp on like the academic stress I was dealing with. So I was in a very good place overall. But when the pandemic hit, all three of these students were distraught. It was so sudden and I had to completely shift up my lifestyle and some of the strategies I had been using socially and academically weren't going to work anymore. Old routines were lost when learning moved online. The school campus was where students were once spending the bulk of their time. But now, they were isolated from the people they were closest to. I think the mundaneness and the sameness of it was sort of got to me. Like, I liked the routine that I had in school, but then my routine just became waking up, getting out of bed, putting on, like, a t-shirt and going on Zoom. That first school year was especially tough. So in my case, we didn't even have Zoom classes at that point. From March 2020 up until June 2020, our teachers would just post asynchronous assignments for us to complete in the mornings or whenever we would usually have their class. And then that would just be our day. The first time I think I left my house in 2020 was in like July. So I was just inside for like three or four months straight. And I don't know how I made it through that because I'm a very extroverted person. I do like thrive off of social interaction. And I was just completely confined by my bedroom walls for months at a time. Alyssa was lonely. FaceTiming friends helped, but it wasn't the same. There's something about like face-to-face social interaction that fills me with a sense of joy. And I felt like... I was still like missing that throughout the pandemic and just going to classes every day without having like, you know, the time between class where you can talk to your friends or like a lunch period just made school so much less enjoyable for me. While students were trying to manage their new lifestyles, adults noticed something was off. Parents have been saying that their children are are really suffering. They were seeing signs of mental health struggles. They're suffering from increased anxiety, increased loneliness, depression, and also increased behavioral challenges, acting out in some ways more, having trouble controlling their impulses more, even more easily triggered. There's a trauma response that is understandable given the trauma that all of us have have faced and these are young people and some of them had you know challenges before that are now even more exacerbated suddenly students had to deal with new worries 
in addition to the common anxieties of adolescence. Since the pandemic, like my anxiety about the health of my loved ones has definitely gone up, just like in general. Nicole's dad is a firefighter. He contracted COVID early on in the pandemic. My mom, my one of my sisters and my and my dad all had COVID. So me and my younger sister for like for like two weeks were like alone in in this basement. That's a long time, but it felt even worse in the middle of a longer isolation from school, friends, activities, essentially the entire outside world. Meanwhile, Nicole was still trying to stay on top of her coursework. We still had to take the AP exams and all that, but like it was so weird because everything felt the same and so like nothing, but like at the same time we were aware of the fact that we were living through an historic event that's like, you know, a tragedy across the whole world. Kristen had a similar experience with her mom who works in a clinic. Her case of COVID was actually very bad. She was coughing, she was throwing up. And I actually have my grandmother at home and she's high risk. Kristen's concern over her mom's health impacted her own mental health. I still had to worry about my academics because our teachers were still grading us and I still had to focus on that AP exam that we had in May. Even for kids who didn't have a COVID outbreak at home, they were still on edge about their high-risk relatives. My dad does suffer from like heart problems, and my mom was mandated to go into work every day because she works in a hospital, so it was a scary time. I guess it made me extra cautious about it, it made me extra hesitant to actually leave my house even when things were starting to open up because I was paranoid. Many kids and teens were suddenly in a situation where they were endlessly worrying about their parents, grandparents, and other older relatives. It sort of created a flip in the regular guardian and child dynamic. It is heartbreaking. Stress from the pandemic didn't stop when students returned to classrooms. Transitioning back into in-person learning has been a challenge itself. Alyssa expected senior year to be easy, but it ended up being her most stressful year. I feel like junior year would have eased us into it, but having it online just created that sort of disconnect and having to suddenly go back in person just makes it so much more difficult. I get tired so much more easily being in school for um, like seven, eight hours at a time, including extracurriculars is challenging because junior year I was just sitting on my computer at home. And so now I feel like my energy and motivation has significantly depleted. She wasn't feeling supported at school. And yes, we had like guidance counselors, but in general, I feel like guidance counselors focus more on the academic side of things rather than the mental health side of things. So. Yeah, I guess it was difficult for them to figure out something for us, but we all kind of felt like we were on our own. Without adequate mental health support staff and resources, students suffer, and sometimes they are punished for it. We have been seeing, continue to see lots of suspensions from school. We have seen, I have been getting calls myself and contacted from parents of children as young as six years old. Parents who have been telling me that they are really distressed that their children with autism, ADHD, other disabilities have some behavioral challenges and that they have been either threatened by their school staff with 
calls to EMS or the police if they can't come and, and pick up their children from school, which is, which is illegal, to force a child to, to go home if they're having some behavioral challenges, especially if the student has a disability, they have special protections. And then, you know, we have also been getting calls from parents where the children have actually been sent to the hospital emergency room and had police intervening instead of clinically trained mental health professionals. Using suspensions in lieu of mental health support doesn't work. There is clear evidence, qualitative, quantitative data showing that suspension and exclusion just leads to more of that. And it also leads to decreased academic outcomes. And in some instances, even students dropping out. And in some instances, students even ending up in the juvenile or criminal legal system. Lack of in-person contact made being aware of the available support more difficult. There were definitely pre-existing resources that we could still use during the pandemic. It's just that everything felt so destructured because our, our classes just became individual. The resources students connect with in school are especially important. Data shows that young people are 21 times more likely to actually use and access mental health support when they get it in school rather than in community-based clinics. Nicole was able to meet with a school counselor over Zoom to talk during the pandemic. Having that resource to talk to was definitely helpful, but yeah, I could totally see why a lot of people didn't feel supported just because everything sort of was so destructuralized because everything got destroyed. Access to counselors can be a barrier for many students. The U.S. is currently dealing with a school counselor shortage, a problem that's especially apparent in cities. The American School Counselor Association advises no more than 250 students per counselor. New York State averaged 350 students per counselor, according to the association's most recent report. On top of all of this, some counselors only provide academic help. These academic counselors generally are not supposed to provide mental health support for students. We'll be back with more In-Depth after this. Welcome back to In-Depth. As schools deal with mental health staffing shortages, what can policymakers and administrators focus on? It's just really important that we pay attention to what young people are telling us and provide resources to transform school environments and address the the needs of our students, the mental health and behavioral health needs. I've heard some of my teachers, they've talked to me personally because I've been very passionate about this topic, but they want to start implementing like socio-emotional learning curricula at our school, which we don't have right now, but it would basically teach us more about like understanding our own feelings and the feelings of others and empathizing. And I think it would be something super useful to have. Social and emotional learning, AKA SEL, is a term coined in 1994. It's a curriculum designed to help students develop interpersonal skills. They learn about being self-aware, handling their emotions, and managing relationships. The lessons are incorporated into daily teaching and vary based on the student's grade. For example, at PS73 in the Bronx, preschoolers begin the day with a five-minute meditation. 
On Staten Island, third graders at PS78 toss around a beach ball, sharing how they're feeling and discussing coping mechanisms. Kids at the high school level may have conversations around dealing with grief or understanding how to spot an unhealthy relationship. I know some schools have started implementing it and it's had like very positive effects on the mental health and coping mechanisms of their student bodies. But the curriculum has become the latest target of the school culture wars. Some of the same conservative groups that target school districts that attempt to teach American history accurately are the same groups who are also against SEL programs. They believe some of the concepts taught are against their values. An example, a parent's Facebook group in Indiana discussed the inclusion of mindfulness in social-emotional learning. Group members were alarmed that mindfulness is a tenet of Buddhism. One group member writing that, quote, Christian parents should be aware of what is happening. Still, SEL opposition is nowhere near as strong as the attacks on teaching diverse topics. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives. Streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. There's data to back up programs too. 
A 2021 report from the Early Intervention Foundation looked at the international impact of social-emotional learning on students ages 12 to 18. It found that implementing these programs significantly reduced depression and anxiety in the short term. So that's something I would definitely love to see. I think it's super important to focus on like the emotional sides of our lives because, you know, if we're suffering beneath the surface, then our ability to do well academically is going to be impaired. According to experts, there are ways social-emotional learning needs to improve. In 2021, the Harvard Graduate School of Education concluded that the way programs are implemented is crucial to their success. Very few SEL programs focus on cultural diversity, equity, cultural competence, and justice, according to Harvard's report. In the meantime, Staten Island tech students want to learn how their peers cope with their mental health. So they started a group called Child Resilient. We're this student-led organization that promotes resilience and aims to open up the conversation about resilience, especially among teens and children who are experiencing adversity and hardship. So we host programs like Intelligence and Road to Resilience, which educate youth, especially teens, about counseling and about psychological literacy. And we also make and post infographics, which expand the conversation to of various mental health topics. One of those programs, Mentelligence, connects kids from across New York City over Zoom. It's not affiliated with any one school. It's like an extracurricular thing, but they joined it because they felt like they didn't really have any other place where they could have these very open conversations about mental health. And we've had conversations about like mental health laws and mental health in schools, even mental health relating to college. And we express such similar stresses and experiences where we feel like in our school environment in general, there's this pressure to succeed academically. Alyssa, who's a leader in the program, noticed this pressure, especially in students attending specialized high schools like Staten Island Tech. We have to constantly like reach this standard that our peers have set, which is a very high standard because we're all like very highly motivated, high achieving kids. And I think being surrounded by those people just can take a toll on our mental health because we're constantly trying to do better and push ourselves more. A lot of this is about giving teens room to be vulnerable with peers dealing with the same issues. I feel like we're all very comfortable expressing personal struggles with each other, which is an amazing thing because we are all complete strangers. We've never met each other in real life, but I think like this common bond we have for psychology and normalizing discussions on mental health has kind of united us to talk about it in spite of the lack of resources in our schools themselves. So I think it's definitely a step in the right direction, but there is also a lot of room for change that exists. This creates a space for students to express how they actually feel. A lot of them are more comfortable talking to other teens instead of adults in their life. In general, the consensus has kind of been like a fear of talking about it or even an embarrassment of talking about it. And I feel like in general, most adults don't realize that. Some of them even, not necessarily teachers, but I think a lot of parents kind of contribute to this stigma by, you know, operating under the impression that therapy is for crazy people or just trying to make it like minimize 
what they're going through beneath the surface, and a lot of it isn't intentional. A good example of this disconnect is how Kristen and her mom, who's an immigrant, relate to academic pressure. She experienced some really difficult things when she was growing up in China. My, uh, my grandmother, or my mother's mother, worked in the coal mines, and my grandfather worked as a bus driver in China. And my mom had to work hard very academically during the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward era in China to get an education and to be able to immigrate to America. But I feel like she still holds the U.S. school system, especially the New York City specialized high school system, to a lower degree than what she's experienced. So constantly she's undermining the amount of academic and generally academic and adolescent stress that I'm experiencing. So it can be very, very challenging to have to balance her. It doesn't just happen at home, but at school too. Kristen told me how this played out with one of her teachers. And I think he is the epitome of how a lot of adults think and perceive teen mental health. Very unforgiving when it comes to deadlines because he thinks that we expected this rigor. So we shouldn't feel that we should seek mental health resources. These kind of interactions are actually not great for students dealing with mental health issues. Shutting down conversation about an event when somebody needs to talk about it is not good for them. And it actually is associated with worse mental health. That's psychologist Dr. Allison Holman, a professor at the University of California, Irvine. So if you shut down a conversation with somebody who's trying to talk to you about something and you kind of give them the feeling that you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to hear what they're talking about, that can be a problem for somebody. By creating this atmosphere where conversations around mental health are unwelcome or shut down, students suffer. I think a lot of members of Mentelligence have felt the same way, where they don't want to feel this fear of asking for mental health resources or extensions because of what they're going through. They wish it was something that was just, you know, implied that we should have access to, that it should be like a right and not just like a privilege. Mental health in general is less stigmatized for Gen Z. Compared to older Americans, Gen Z is more likely to report mental health concerns and seek treatment. As students explore their mental health, they begin to understand the long-term effects of living through a pandemic. You know, this whole generation has been deeply affected by a tragedy that's not going to not leave a mark on people. This can be a hard pill to swallow. But instead of repressing these hardships, Child Resilient aims to address them while they're happening. Teenagers are able to be resilient and like, we will get through it, but we won't get through it unscathed, you know? We all went through this together, and I think it's going to impact our whole generation as we grow up. These kids are identifying that they will have trauma from living through the pandemic. The CDC defines traumatic events as being, quote, marked by a sense of horror, helplessness, or the threat of serious injury or death. When we talk about collective trauma, what we're talking about is shared events, events that are that affect everyone. Dr. Holman's research focuses on the physical and mental health consequences from exposure to trauma. Let me just distinguish something. So an individual trauma is something like you have a car accident or a woman, God forbid, but a woman is raped. Those are forms of 
individual trauma. A collective trauma is a shared event, an event that is shared by many people in a community. So for example, if a hurricane hits a community and the entire community has been hit and there's lots of people experiencing that, that's a collective trauma. The 9-11 attacks is another example that affected our entire country. So those are collective traumas. So they're shared events that often have a direct impact on the community that is affected, but have indirect, there are indirect effects of collective trauma that are through the media, because obviously when collective events happen, there's a tremendous amount of media exposure, right? Media comes running in and oh, everybody's talking about what happened in the hurricane or what happened in the shooting or what happened in the whatever. While some dismiss the pandemic being a collective trauma, various experts, including Dr. Holman, are classifying it as such. We've lost a million Americans. Let's get real. Most states in the country were put on lockdown. We had massive job losses, endless problems. The pandemic is a unique collective trauma because there's no clear end. We were losing 4,000 people a day for a while. It's insane. That uncertainty is significantly affecting young adults' mental health. A lot of studies have been showing that young people, the youngest groups, like 18 to 25-year-olds or roughly 18 to 30-year-olds, are actually experiencing the worst of the mental health challenges in the aftermath of the pandemic. When the pandemic became a national emergency, suddenly the path forward wasn't clear for students. And it's like people come home from school, they're, they're at home, and you're kind of going, what does this mean for my future? And when you take away that sense of future for young people, or you undermine a sense of a positive future for young people, you put their mental health at risk. And that's that's been shown in prior to the pandemic. That's been shown in, in many parts of the world where there's significant strife, uh, civic strife or war or those kinds of problems. So if the pandemic is a collective trauma, and kids and teens are clearly mentally struggling now, does that mean some of them could develop some form of pandemic PTSD? Let's think about the, what, the, what the pandemic has created. We've got the pandemic. So there's the risk of kids may have lost family members, right? They may have lost somebody that they love. There's always a risk of developing PTSD in the aftermath of a, of a, of a significant loss, especially if it's a traumatic loss which many losses during the pandemic were. Why? Because people weren't able to see the person that was dying. They weren't able to hold their hand. They weren't able to kiss them goodbye. It's important to note that the pandemic wasn't a standalone event. Many significant, some traumatic, events happened in tandem. So we had the pandemic, we had the economic downturn and the job loss and the school closures and the lockdowns and then the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and the killing of Rihanna Taylor and the killing of George Floyd and a summer full of fires in California, Colorado, you know, Washington, places burning down, hurricanes, and, 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 you get my drift. There's been an endless series of events. Even though some of these events are unrelated, the fact they are happening in tandem strengthens their negative impact. I'm sure not everybody, but many are looking at the world and going, what is going on? What is happening to the world that I'm inheriting, that I'm going to be like living in and perhaps in charge of at some point? This is all difficult enough to deal with as an adult. But for someone who hasn't had a chance to grow up yet, 
this can be entirely overwhelming. It's crucial to hear from young people about how they deal with collective trauma. Young people today may have solutions, ideas, unique ideas that are unlike those that the rest of us have had for years. The problem is that young people aren't feeling listened to by adults, especially about mental struggles. They don't want adults to just tell them to be strong. And I actually think that it's pretty sad that they, like, it's pretty sad for them that they have had to, you know, gain that mentality. It's a thing that gets taught, you know, is passed down through generations. And I think that, you know, because of that idea is not only are they harming their children, but also they're forced to sort of bottle up their emotions and, and like, probably are really hurting from stuff they haven't felt safe enough to, you know, talk about and deal with in a healthy way. So I feel like, I don't know, child resilient and, and all this, like, I hope that by making, you know, this generation sort of more able and having the space to talk about this, that maybe for like, when we grow up, the generations that come after us, you know, Gen Z's children, maybe it'll be better for them if we can, you know, raise them with the ideas that it's okay to talk about it. The big question is, how do we move forward from this crisis? In early August, New York City's comptroller announced city schools have $4.4 billion in federal COVID aid left over from last year. They need to spend it by the 2024-2025 school year when it expires. This could be an opportunity to beef up mental health programs, but it could also be used to fill budget gaps. Declining enrollment and COVID caused a financial hole. That hole could force schools to cut back on staff, including guidance counselors. Parents and teachers sued to stop the cuts, but this is still playing out in court. This leaves the outcome up in the air as students head back to school. Regardless, advocates want more money for student mental health resources. What young people are face facing in terms of um, disruption in their learning and in their mental health supports and the trauma, you know, this is going to have a long impact on them. So we, we really, we should be funding as much as we can the right resources in schools. We, we know what is effective, we know what works, and we strongly we urge the mayor to, you know, to fund the mental health continuum, $5 million going forward, this model for integrating a range of direct services to students with significant mental health needs in high need schools that are partnered with hospital-based mental health clinics. We urge the mayor to fund the expansion of school-based mental health clinics. To end the show, I asked the Staten Island grads what they would want Mayor Adams, President Biden, and other leaders and policymakers to keep in mind when making decisions related to youth mental health. Really try to lead with empathy and understanding. And when teenagers, you know, may seem complicated, and we are, but when we're hurting, a lot of the times we will let you know. So listen. I would want them to understand that like a grid on our report card or academic achievement is not more important than our emotional well-being. And I think especially living in like 
a capitalistic society where we're constantly told to produce, 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 even when we have nothing left to give, that definitely doesn't help. The administration should really listen to us teens. I mean, when we are in a difficult position and we are suffering, especially since we're the ones who are going through the New York City education system, I feel like we should definitely have a voice. And I definitely feel like the Department of Education should have empathy and understand our struggles and try to alleviate our struggles. Thank you so much for listening. In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. If you enjoy this podcast, Please rate, review, and subscribe. Special thanks to producer Dempsey Palat and audio engineer Andy Egan Thorpe. Famie Redwood is the managing producer of podcasts. And I'm Jill Webb. Cheers. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.